What's up, Painless Flipping Podcast listeners? Before we dive into today's episode, I've got something special for you. Recently, I had the pleasure of joining an amazing podcast, and I wanted to share that conversation with you all. It's a fantastic discussion you won't want to miss. So without further ado, let's jump into that crossover episode and hear what we had to say. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to The Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates III, and today I'm sitting down with Nathan Payne. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm feeling great. Feeling good today. Feeling good. Well, I'm excited for today's episode. Um, I have to say, I think you and I probably have put out more content for Batch than yes, any other two individuals. Maybe Jamil Damji. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. there with us. But uh, it, it's a uh, it's been a long time coming. There you go. It's been a long time coming for uh, you and I to sit down and have a chat about that. So for, for the sure. people that have not consumed any of your content or maybe don't know who you are. Explain what it is that you do in real estate investing. Yeah, yeah. My name is Nathan Payne. I've been in real estate for about five years now. And, you know, I've done it all. I've gone like nationwide wholesaling. I've just done it myself. I mean, I've gone through the roller coaster, right? And trying to figure out what works for me. And uh, what I do now is I specific, I have like a small team. I used to have a bigger team before the pandemic hit. And yep. um, now it's just like me, a VA. And my goal is to do deals pr uh, efficiently, profitably, and uh, leverage my network to do deals. So I, I don't really have a ton of marketing spend right now. It's mainly just doing deals through JVing, agent outreach, my network, social media. And, uh, you know, that's I like it because I had the big team. I did it all. And it just was it's kind of like stressful for me. It wasn't really the lifestyle I wanted. So, you know, doing deals here and there uh, and, and teaching people how to get started. That's that's what I like to do. And that's what I focus on. So that's that's me. So I want to ask about that because this is this has become a topic um, that I'm hearing more and more the the big team. It wasn't the lifestyle that you wanted. Right. Yeah. That's that's a really important statement for, for people to understand because it's so easy to, in today's world with social media to see the Pace Morbys and the Jamil Damjis and these people that are are just crushing it with these huge numbers, right? Yeah, yeah. We're doing 60, 80 deals a month. How did you say, hey, I'm okay not doing that so I can have the lifestyle that I want? You know what? Like uh, the pan the pandemic actually really helped because like we were doing well, like everybody was, right? You could sell right. anything, but you know, once we're in Utah, right? So it really slowed down here because the prices jumped up so fast and they like stopped really quick, right? And we actually got crushed on a couple flips at that time because uh, you know they weren't selling right. after you know interest rates went up. But just for me, I sat down. With, I had a business partner at the time, and we we're like, dude, like this is a uh, you know continuing this way is just not something I'm like interested in. Like we, we went through acquisition reps. So it went through leads managers. We went virtual assistants and the, and uh, you know, acquisition reps in like Columbia, we did it all. And it just was like, bro, I'm, I came to a point. I'm like, dude, I'm really good. And I even feel like I close half the deals. Even when we had our team, right. Like, I can just do this. And uh, you know, when you, when it breaks down, you got marketing spend, you got overhead and you split it with a partner 50, 50. Now I don't recommend getting a 50, 50 partner as you go, longer because it just doesn't make sense as you get right. better but uh you know you don't really have that much left over or at least my company didn't have a ton left over for profitability after like trying to learn and always improve so i was like dude i got this and that's what made me realize like the lifestyle is not really what i wanted and i wanted to kind of work by my on my own as well so it was just a good transitioning period and what where i'm at right now it's really low-key I'm not really stressed about like $30,000, $40,000 marketing budgets in higher every month. It's just, 
you know, doing deals uh, through JVing, helping people, networking. So that's to answer your question. That's the lifestyle how I came. I think there's a that's very respectable, right? I mean, in 2023, it's just so easy to be influenced by what other people are doing, and for you to sit down and say, "Hey, I want my life is more important than vanity metrics," right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's essentially what it can be at times, right? There, yeah. are, there are people out there that are running great businesses at those high volumes, but there is a lot more pressure that comes along with it. And that's not always the the point in becoming an entrepreneur. We always yeah. preach freedom. Very rarely does the entrepreneur gain freedom. They kind of create this more difficult job. So exactly. Yeah. One of the, you, you've talked about it, JV deals, you know, direct to agent, I want to talk to you about the direct to agent aspect of this, because that's something that we don't really do here a lot. Right. So talk about, first and foremost, what is that and how are you utilizing that in your business? Yeah, so direct to agent is doing deals off of the MLS. And not only if they're listed on the MLS, but it's networking through agent outreach and finding agents who have networks and like talk to sellers who are like, hey, I don't want to put my house on the market. And instead of the agent not having an outlet, right? They you you've networked with them and you've said, Hey, if you come across any of those situations, let me know and I'll get you an offer within like 24 hours. I'll be super quick. So you're providing value to that agent when they run into situations like that. And I get texts all the time now through networking of like, hey, I have this seller, he's old, he wants to, he needs to repair the roof, he doesn't do this and he doesn't want to list it. He wants to know what a cash offer would look like. Now that that's that's what it, what it is, but you right. know when you do a deal off of the MLS, it's just making an offer that makes sense for your buyer for whoever you're going to wholesale it to, um, and you know connecting that like it, and right. the way we do it here in Utah, like you have to disclose that you're wholesaling it. So sometimes we'll just I'm tight with my buyer, so I'll just say, hey, uh, just you sign. I've just connected you on this this deal that I know that you wouldn't know that you could negotiate this right. low. You just go and they'll pay me through an invoice. You know, we'll sign a little, uh, yep. you know, invoice and they'll get paid a title. So th that's essentially what it is. It's just networking and talking, really just getting on the phone with agents and really anyone and finding out what the situation is. Because when you look at the listing prices, everyone's like, oh, there's no deals. Well, of course, there's no deals if you just look at list price. Like, right. you know, they're, they're trying to get as much as they can. But when you call, there's a lot motivate like motivated sellers are on the MLS because a lot of them don't know that me and you exist. Yep. They just go right there. So a lot of opportunities out there, especially right now with interest rates and houses not moving, especially in my market. A lot of good stuff out there. What percent of those deals on agent outreach are listed in comparison to kind of those hip pocket? Like, hey, but we don't want to list it. What's the cash offer? What's the kind of the the difference between those two? I would say you're not going like the pocket listings that for me, at least it's not, they're not like coming in like daily, right? Those gotcha. are hit and miss. The more, more of the time is spent in making the offers and, and uh, talking to agents on the MLS. So the percentage of that is higher, but I, I would say I do more deals through JVing as well, just from having my network and being loud about what I do. Um, that, that, that's probably a higher percentage. Gotcha. On the ones that are listed on the MLS, are you a realtor yourself? Are you using a realtor or are you kind of leveraging the fact that there is no buyer's commission and saying, hey, realtor, you can kind of get that that double representation fee? 
Yeah, yeah, you definitely not. I'm not an agent. Uh, don't plan on being an agent. So I do use like, hey, I'm unrepresented. Now, a lot of the agents here have been hearing that nonstop. So they're like, big deal, dude. Like, right. a ton of people said that. So that's not as juicy as people would think. I mean, some agents like love it. But a lot of the agents are like, hey, I'll just give the discount to the seller, which right. is which is fine. It doesn't matter. At least it enables you to get a lower price. So you can use that. But, you know, everyone's talked about the scripts. Like I said, it's it's almost like who cares? Gotcha. <laughs> And when you're making the offers on MLS, because here's the thing, I've, I've talked about this frequently. 2014 is when I learned to do wholesaling, spent $65,000 to essentially learn how to get deals off the MLS. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got, I got screwed. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of dough, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I thought I was learning how to actual wholesale. They just essentially were like, Hey, go make offers on the MLS. Mm -hmm. So when I was doing that, we were just kind of, hey, there's a house for $300,000. That's the asking price. It's as is. It's highly distressed. We were reverse engineering and just making our offer. Are you making the offer or are you calling that agent and having a conversation prior to making the offer? So, great question. So uh, did the same thing you did, and I did a lot of it, and I didn't get a single deal. Uh, when you send a low offer, just a straight low offer and just expect a response, it's, they're going to take it. Like, I'd say that's like extremely, extremely like low, low chance. Right. But having that been said, I do have a CRM that I use. Um, I call it the painless CRM. I've white labeled it, but it does send out, um, automatic offers at like 70% of the list price. And I use this just to get the agent to respond. Um, not that they'll accept it because again, they're not going, they're not gonna be like, great, let's do it. Like you just offer like almost half of what right. I'm looking for. No. So I just get that them to respond because as you know, like calling agents, even to get a hold of them, like is, is going to be a nightmare. So I just want to see who's actively responding. They say, Hey, no, you, you freaking suck. That's the worst offer ever. And then I say, Hey, no, I totally get that. Let's, let's hop on the call. Cause that's not like, that's not my final offer. I was just trying to, you know, see if we could communicate. Right. So uh, to answer your question. Um, yeah, no, like just shooting out that low offer. Well, I would, I will just say from experience, it'll, it will, won't help you build a business. It won't help you do right. multiple deals. You have you to get what, on the phone. You know what was crazy when we were doing that? Cause honestly, for like our first two and a half years, that's all we did. Right. We, we didn't know direct to sell and marketing. Mm -hmm. And and so what I always thought was crazy is the amount of offers that we made where we could never find a way to communicate with the, the listing agent. Yeah. So like you said, couldn't get them to answer the phone. Dude, it's crazy. They, they, they never countered. They never responded to the email or the offer that was sent. Is that still common for you? And have you found a way to overcome that? Yeah. So when you send that email, like I would say, like, let's say out of 200 offers sent, you'll get like maybe 70, well, let's say, let's say 70 to respond to like, you're an idiot. Right. right. So it's very low that like, uh, I would say people that would respond, agents respond to like a low offer. But even when you call, it's like, they don't answer. And, and for me, I would fire my agent if he didn't answer a call, like yes. the house. So I call three times. And the reason why I call three times is my, I usually I'm from Georgia originally. So I have a 404 number. So when I call, usually people think it's spam. So right. the first call, they don't answer second call. They usually answer second, but third it's like, yeah. So that's, that's what I do is like call three times, 
And if they don't answer, it's a text and then, you know, follow up. But it's usually, again, what I've seen is spam is, is really hurting a lot of people. So if you just call once it, I don't even answer my phone when people call me once. Right. Like, right. So, yeah. I, I would say the multiple calls helps on the disposition side listed property on the MLS. What pushback are you getting from your buyers that, Hey, this is a listed property. What value are you bringing to me? How do you overcome that objection from your buyers? Great question. So what I teach uh, in the painless flipping, painless wholesaling method is I don't – I use – I bought like a giant wholesaling list, like from, from Nick Perry, like, you know, Nick Perry, like yep. I, cause I thought that was the key. I thought like having the biggest buyers list was so important, blasting it out. And then I realized like, Hey, I'm selling to like the same people. Like I, I like it's the relationships that are getting a lot of these deals done, not just blasting it out and hoping I get lucky. So the way I do is I actually reach out to my buyers almost before I make that final offer just to verify if they're good. And I reach out. So, so, Sometimes I don't even have the contract on the MLS. I'll right. call my buyer and I'll just say, hey, I've been negotiating with this agent. I think this is a good opportunity for you from your buy box, which you told me. What would you pay for this? Now, right. if they come in, they're like, the house is listed at 300 and they're like, I can do 250 And it's in the, the agent's like, hey, I can go to 260 I would say, hey, look, that's I know you can do 250 I'll try to get lower, but they're at 260 Can you come up a little bit higher so I can get paid? Right. So if they come in at 270 you know, I offer 260 make 10K. So it's a lot of negotiation even before the deal's locked up with buyers I'm tight with. Now, if I just sent this out to a giant list, I run the risk of you know someone just calling the agent directly, but I'm not letting uh, every buyer in Utah know about this situation that I've found. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I, as you're talking about this, like I'm reminiscing back to 2015, 2016, 2017, because this is what we were doing. Right. And, and – it's, I, I told you about last night, I was on a, a Zoom call for a couple hours and they were asking me about my first couple of years of wholesaling. And they were like, how did you do so many deals and make so much money? Dude, exactly what you're talking about right, right. here. Built yeah. a couple really strong, <clears throat> excuse me, mm -hmm. really strong relationships and then essentially reverse wholesaling, right? Like, yeah. hey, what can you pay? 300000 all right. I already know I got them at, at 285. Can you do 280? Hey, boom, mm -hmm. I just made 20K. Exactly. And, and there is no acquisitions commission. There is no overhead. There is no marketing expense of that. That's the beautiful part about this agent outreach. I, I do think it's a it's a it's a solid way to get started if you don't have a marketing budget. Now agreed. You have done direct to seller marketing. Yeah, right? yeah. And those, so, those tend to come up uh, all the time still because, you know, they're through your network, through reaching out, you come across leads that are off market as well. So do you ever miss the direct to seller marketing and, and really because the, the, one of the downfalls, at least for me, on the, the agent outreach was and, and wholesaling off the MLS is that you're kind of at the mercy of those properties being available. Right. Competition, right? Well, with direct to seller, you're always creating your own leads, right? Mm -hmm. At some point in time, you've seen everything that's listed in your market on the MLS. So right. is that something that you kind of 
have to navigate through or is it a struggle or is it just something that you you don't really care about because you're kind of flying solo right now with a small team and it's like hey it doesn't really matter to us you know, I do miss the conversations. I feel like, you know, when you're talking to an agent, it's strictly business and numbers. Yeah. But when you're talking to an off-market a seller, it's like a lot more about the motivation. What are they trying to accomplish? So I do miss that. But I still have like leads that come in through uh, off-market, through like students that don't know how to navigate um, the situation then I can hop on through JV deals. Actually, I have some platforms that I get leads from. And then if I close a deal, I pay them a percentage there and they're off market. So I still get uh, those opportunities and I enjoy them, but I just know through doing like the pay-per-click and all that stuff uh, to generate leads. Um, if you're striking out and you're not getting those deals, that those, those costs can pile up pretty high. So for me, it's like, not that I can't close those deals. I feel like I'm a pretty good uh, sales guy or, or good at clo- um, taking sellers through their options. Right. It's just the stress and having that. I'm like, I'd rather not when I have all these options that are available uh, that don't cost um, any money. So let's talk about the JV deals because you say that's a lot, a, a big part of your business, right? Right. Is it strictly students or do you have a way to essentially kind of create interest in people wanting to JV with you? Yeah. So I, I would say uh, both, right? Like I have students that bring me deals and even if I tell them to do direct, like agent outreach and JV and do all this stuff, like they're all, people always gravitate to off, off market. They're always like, hey, let me just try. It's a little easier. Right. And then they realize they're both difficult, right? They both have to work hard at both. Um, so I have a lot of opportunities where they bring me those. Like I had a student, for example, he had a deal. It was ARV was like 320, 350, and he had it like 275. He thought that was where it needed to be, right? Right. So I'm like, hey, man, I ran the numbers, and I even asked the buyer, we need this thing at like um, 180, and I have a buyer 200,000. So you're 75, like $100,000 off. Right. (laughs) So I was like, hey, go ahead and just tell the seller, hey, you you got your numbers wrong. You need it lower. And the seller agreed to 100K less. So so we did the deal. So it's things like that where it's like, hey, um, you know, you, you did your numbers wrong. Just go in. If he wasn't able to negotiate it and, you know, I could hop in and be like, let me talk to the seller. So, yeah, to, to, I, I do miss it, uh, but I do get it. I do get quite a bit of it and, and like it. So I wish I could have heard that conversation like, hey, you know, I actually made a typo on the contract that <laughs> that first number is actually incorrect. Yeah, we need to drop it by one number. Uh, Dude, it's it's really funny too because like i got into this business because i was in door-to-door sales for like six seven years and before that i went on a mission for my church so i was like really good at rejection taking rejection overcoming it so i actually got into wholesaling because i thought it was like completely a sales game like you could convince anyone to take a low offer and soon i realized like hey you know, you got to find the right opportunities. You're not convincing anyone to, you're not calling me and I'm not going to sell my house to you for, you know, half off. So uh, it's been interesting to see how even I lose out on deals to people with limited sales ability if they can pay more. So it's, it's really interesting to see how, how this business navigates with best offers and stuff like that. Yeah. Going back to the agent outreach and even the JV deals, Mm -hmm. are you, trying to convert any of those to creative finance terms or is it pretty just pretty much just cash to because you're wholesaling you know i if if my cash offer isn't accepted i always you know ask hey would the seller be open to terms if we can get them closer to their asking price right 
those are far and few between, you know, I, you always see the stories of like, Oh yeah, I'm doing all these creative deals. I'm like, Hey guys, that's great. I don't know what you're, what you're telling or whispering into this, these people's ears, but I don't find that many opportunities. I pitch them, but you know, most people that want to do creative that uh, don't really need it. They want like a ton down. And once right. you need a ton down, it kind of kills the cash flow, kills the, the deal for being, you know, worth it to a lot of buyers. I also personally think location matters when it comes to, to creative finance. Right. Like with you being in Utah, which by the way, we're, we're about to talk about Utah. <laughs> um, I'm not a fan yeah. of Utah. Okay. It's, it's a tough market, brother. I, I would, well, you know. I think it, I think it's the, the hardest market, just my, yeah. my personal opinion. I just don't think Utah likes me. Well, people uh, here are just like think they're they're all so savvy and smart and investors yeah, themselves. Like exactly. entrepreneurs. Like it's yeah. Anyway. But I think the market matters um where you're gonna be able to get either seller finance or sub two. Um, I think that impacts your ability to do that. So agreed. Agreed. Let's talk about Utah for a second. So let's do it. The first time I did my 50-day challenge trying mm-hmm. to get a deal in all 50 states, the only state. I did not get a deal was Utah. It was the only state (laughs) I pulled inside of my batch leads over 15,000 records in Utah and did not get a deal. Okay. Yes. That was in 2020. I continued to try to get a deal in 2021. I continued to try to get a deal in 2022. Still didn't get a deal. Got one under contract. My acquisitions guy completely messed up the car i actually talked to your acquisitions guy about that deal yeah we had to drop it right he totally messed up so then 2023 i just now got a deal first time i've ever gotten a deal on a contract in cedar city nice now we're we're still we we got a potential offer on the table okay okay it's a creative deal funny enough okay now my thing is is with People trying to decide what market they want to be in. If they live in a market like Utah, Mm -hmm. should they deal with the difficulties of that local market? Or are you saying, hey, guys, I know how hard it is to do deals in Utah. I think you should go to Ohio. I think you should go to Michigan. Or do you think they should try to do it because they're local to that difficult market? I, I don't like preach the, the local, like if you live in the area, go, work in the area, I, I just say pick a, a major metro. That's what I say. Like, so right. wh- wh- wherever, like Florida's, Atlanta's, like, uh, like you said, the Ohio's, like those, those are, there's going to be more opportunities. There's just more distressed properties in those areas. I feel like Utah, I don't know, the weather doesn't really beat up the houses that much. People are, I would say they're pretty savvy uh, with their money investor wise. So like, I don't, I wouldn't say there's that much crap, <laughs> like, is right. it would be in like the mid, no offense to the Midwest, but like, there's just way more stuff out there, you know? So, yeah. uh, I, to answer your question, um, if someone's brand new and they don't, they live in Utah, but they don't want to start here completely fine. You know, I, I, virtual is, is the way to go in my opinion. Um, if you can meet the thing also in Utah is like, if you go sit down with a seller, you, it's way easier to get that contract than versus over the phone. So sure. that that's tough. So if you're going to be in Utah, you probably should be here, you know? Right. Yeah. So you talked about previously you have done virtual wholesaling, right? What made you decide, Hey, I'm in one of the toughest markets in the United States. I'm going to get rid of the virtual model and kind of just go strictly here in Utah. What made you decide that? 
Well, so the the nationwide model presents uh, some some difficulties as well with Dispo uh, yep. because you know you're like, wow, great, now I get a ton of leads, but it's like, okay, well, nobody wants to buy these <laughs> in, right. in areas, or it's difficult to sell them. So when I came back to Utah, and also I'm in I'm, I'm in Tampa, Orlando, and Atlanta, so I'm still in other places I focus on. But when I came back to Utah, the amount of people that uh, are just always going to watch YouTube videos or try and find opportunities but not know how to close them have those issues like that's that's what i'm kind of capitalizing on is helping those people in utah so and agents and relationships they run into gotcha. those. so it's not so much that i'm w willing to spend like tons of money in marketing uh in utah but i have those like i know who needs help and that's kind of how i'm making it work for me here does that make sense? sense yeah it does make sense and also when you talk about those southeast states right florida georgia those are some great places to right. wholesale, right? They're, they're juicy spreads. There's motivation there. They're larger cities. I think those are the places like when you're talking about, hey, if you need to be virtual, because mm -hmm. there are certain places like, dude, if you live in LA, which a ton of people live in LA, you probably shouldn't try to wholesale in LA. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I've yet to talk to someone on this podcast on 250 plus episodes where they're like, I'm crushing it in Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you've got to look elsewhere. Those are places that you should be looking. Those larger cities that, you know, hey, you hear repeatedly, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, Michigan, places like that, yeah. where you're going to be able to get deals. So let's talk about this this painless wholesaling method. You know, yes, this, is, this is your education, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So how did that come about and why do you do that? I think it's important for people to understand why you started that. You know, it, it comes down to like how I learned. Uh, when I first got started uh, wholesaling, I took my philosophy of like door knocking and just like going out and taking action like to wholesaling. And uh, I knocked doors. I actually got one of my first deals through knocking. So that was cool. But then I was like, man, I, I got to get more deals. So I got a coach and he's and my coach was like, hey, do mail. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do mail. And he's like, spend like $5,000 on mail. And on, it was like unknown equity absentee owner list as in Utah, right? So I spent, right. I was like, dude, I'm gonna double up on what he said because I'm a beast, you know? So I doubled up on the mail, spent 10K and didn't get a single deal, right? And I'm like, yep. in, in the beginning, you spend $10,000 on marketing, get like five mailer calls, you're like shook. You're like, oh my gosh. And I think that's, like going back to like how people get started, I think that's like what's out there a lot is like, if you spend money, if you go market, you will get a deal. But then it's taking out the equation that these people don't know how to negotiate yet. They don't know how to like, what's a deal. And a lot of the time they'll lock up something, spend or negotiate with a seller for like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, finally get a house, be at the wrong price and then, you know, not be able to sell it. So it's just like a very, uh, I would say uh, distress, stressful and like, um, what's the word like demotivating feeling to yeah. work all that time. And then because you lack that knowledge. So when I came back and I said, what is making me money that I'm not having to invest that much time, effort and money into. And it was always through JVing, networking, knowing my market. So I was like, I want to teach people how to do deals the painless way, right? Like without having to go through that pain that I went through, understand your market first, right? Like, when I hear brand new investors, like they just started and they're like, I'm nationwide. I'm like, no, 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 bro. Don't do that. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And cause you just don't, you can't master every market. Like right. 
uh comping is like a it's an art like it's it's you have to it's not like you can just like okay 70 percent of the zillow it doesn't work like right. that so anyway the reason uh, to sum it up why i did this is because i was in the position you were in the position of the new wholesaler and if they jump too fast into marketing and trying to be a a business owner immediately that they'll be out of business quickly but if they go out master market develop relationships with the top buyers see deals that are on the market and bring them to their bar buyers they can make money quickly with no little to no marketing spend absolutely and and here's the thing i i've said this a couple of times recently so especially on my youtube channel so if you're listening to this i want to reiterate what i am saying and kind of tweak it a little bit for today's episode i have talked about to get started I think one of the most important things that you can master at the beginning is how to talk to a seller. Because if you could talk to a seller, you'll always have deals. And if you have deals, you can always JV with somebody else. You can, someone else can always dispo your deal. Someone else can TC your deal. For sure. But if you have deals, you're going to be okay. The tweet that I want to make based off today's episode is, if you learn how to talk to agents and develop relationships, you can always have deals. It's always just starting with the acquisition side of things. If you're doing that, that foundation can never be taken away from you. Because the facts are whoever controls the deal controls the destiny of where the money flows. And, and that is the important part about this. And I think it's important for whether, you know, you, you learn from someone like they, like me that's big on direct to seller or from someone like Nathan, who's big on hey agent outreach, we can establish relationships. There's ways where we can get deals without having this huge marketing budget. It doesn't matter. It's still making sure acquisitions is like a core foundation early on. I think that's extremely important. Of okay? course. And can I add something about acquisitions? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, extremely important huge and and i even look at like negotiating with agents and uh building relationships with buyers a form of acquisitions it's like you're building those relationships and you're showing them that you're worthy like you can actually do what you're saying um like yes. if you call someone a buyer and you you don't know what you're talking about like they might not see the value in working with you so you definitely need to know how to navigate a situation with the seller how to hold like how to go through the process and it's okay to like not know but like it's uh you definitely want to get that as soon as possible so when you do get those opportunities you can take it take it all the way so i have a question for you that you have no idea i'm going to ask you because it's not about you it's about something that just happened here in texas okay this is this is crazy I, i've never actually seen this i got I got sent this link okay. right, five or six times yesterday. There is – now, I, I don't know that this had anything to do with wholesaling, okay? Mm -hmm. There is a gentleman here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I think he was in his 60s. He was placing offers on MLS properties using a fraudulent proof of funds, mm -hmm. going under contract, and then terminating. Okay, pretty common, but I don't know what he was. I don't know that he was trying to wholesale. I don't really know what his end game was. Yeah, but he got arrested, and is being there are criminal charges being pressed against him for being a fraudulent buyer. Now, the reason why is because these were listed MLS properties, 
and they're claiming that he caused harm to multiple sellers right by locking up their properties and then terminating and did not have the means to close on the property that is where they are coming with the criminal charges on a much larger scale because right. you and i are both hey we're we're out there right we're trying to influence people to do this yeah it's a rather scary move i think that a the realtors banded together, the title companies banded like they came together to build this case against this gentleman. Do you think this is something that should be done, or do you think this is kind of ludicrous that they're trying to put this man in prison <laughs> for essentially terminating properties during his inspection period? Well, to go to prison and be with those, uh, you know, the thugs or whatever people are in there, and you're like, "Why are you in jail?" Well, you know, I canceled some contracts. You know, you'd be right. in the wrong, you'd be in the wrong place. But or jail or prison, I know they're different. But it, I, it I is say, '60s, by the way. Yeah. Um. No, I understand how that can be. Uh. You know, painful for people, like especially if the dude doesn't know what he's doing, right? Uh. But no, jail, no. Uh. Maybe a wag of the finger. Um. Especially if like. He's using the same title company, cancels all six at the same if he put him, took him there. You know, that's kind of my issue with wholesale. I, I would say that's a lot of people's issues. It's like so many people don't know what they're doing, bro. Like, and there's nothing we can do about it other than educate, right, and show them. Uh, but that's why, like, the pain this way is, I believe, the right way to do it if you're going to be on market is – I don't really even lock up properties unless I know or have a good idea right. that I have a buyer in place. And again, a lot of time I don't even put it under my LLC. I will use them and they'll invoice me. So uh, the strategy that I teach, I think will keep people safe, but it's going to get worse if like, you know, you have no money you're using uh, like a, like what, a, like a, a Google doc, like, Hey, right. I have $500,000 or whatever. Like, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. They're making what a bad do we rep. Do? What do we do here, Nathan? I mean, this is starting to get serious when they're arresting people. Yeah. For this. I mean, as investors, as wholesalers that are doing this the right way. Right. Right. This is a little bit scary when you see this because it's like, I kind of had the same reaction you had when I was telling you a story. There was kind of a chuckle. Mm -hmm. And then it was like a roll of dies. Like, really? This is yeah. really happening. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like you start thinking about it a little bit more and you go, well, dude, this is where regulations get brought down, right? right? We're yeah. seeing it more and more. We're seeing like here in Texas now, we have to disclose that we're wholesaling. You brought that up. You have to do that in Utah as well. Yeah. Where do you think we're headed? Like, where do you think wholesaling is going to be five years from now in comparison to today? And do you think it's going to essentially kind of have to go the direction of the agent outreach? That's a well, solid question. I think um, out assignments eventually will get outlawed. Like you won't be able to sign a contract. Um, I think that would stop a lot of the issues. And then uh, like double closing will be bigger, right. uh, you know, buying properties within an LLC and then, uh, you know, selling the LLC with the property inside, right. To the, the new buyer. Um, invoicing kind of like I said like just being bird dogs uh, for for people I think that will be because I don't think you'll be able to ever stop someone finding a good deal and then giving it to someone that will pay right. them um, but 
I, I do get it because it is extremely easy to get a contract on a property with a proof of funds. I, I think that the agents could do a better job of due diligence of finding out if those proof of funds are legit before they accept the offer. It's pretty simple. You know, usually there's a number on there <laughs> to call. Um, right. So I would say that's not entirely. Yes, the guy shouldn't have done that um, with six Again, six people and you you don't have buyers for all six, so you have to cancel that. You're an idiot, dude. Like, come on. I agree. The I guess I, I wish I could talk to that guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I have cool. some questions. I want to be like, hey, did someone tell you to do this? Exactly. Because it almost kind of want to be like, I think that's the criminal offense. Yeah. If there's someone out there educating, I think there is a responsibility that we have as educators not only as wholesalers and real estate investors, but as educators to make sure we're telling people how to do things the right way. Because exactly. think about it, dude, if this guy's in his mid sixties, probably spent like, I don't know, 10, 20, $30,000 to try to figure out how to change his life. Yeah. In his final years. Right. And now he's potentially looking to go to prison. I don't think he just came up with this idea on his own. I'm just going to be honest with you. No, it, for sure. And I have murders. It reeks of some bullshit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and obviously for me, it's like mercy on that, like a one billion percent. It's like, hey, man, you like you said, that story, he's trying to improve his life. It's not criminal at all. Okay? Right. It's a slap on the wrist and just say, hey, bro, don't do that. And maybe point him to someone that can help him in the community. It's like, hey, this is a good investor to work with. Um, you remember that show, Orange is the New Black? Yeah, yeah. I've, it, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard it. Yeah. It's kind of like that. That all the people in that show, they basically had like these very minor offenses that they had to go serve like six to nine months. Yeah, it's like that. How? Why are you in here? I tried to wholesale. I wasn't <laughs> good at it. Yeah, so they, they arrested me. I watched the video and uh, I was the yeah. wrong video to watch. Exactly. I had no idea. Wrong YouTube channel. So should have searched Nathan Payne or R.J. Bates. Yeah, bro, uh, it's crazy. Uh, um. But I just want to say, like, one of the things that I teach and I, I think is really important is, like, with those relationships, again, you don't even have to lock things up necessarily, especially if you're new bef right. before you understand, like, you have a deal. And, and, and it is unfortunate because, like, I get JV deals sent to me. Even yesterday, I looked through three of them. They, they were MLS deals. They locked them up, and they're way too high. Like, you, yeah. this is not going to be a deal. So they really are wasting people's time without the knowledge. And, and the the – a blasting it out and hoping somebody will buy it or overpay like that. I think that model too, they're trying to crush that because they actually have in Utah. They're like, Hey, um, you can't just send out properties because you're technically marketing them and you can't. Right. So people are just gonna have to be better at their job at finding deals. So Nathan, it. what's funny about that is you brought up, you looked at three JV deals yesterday. Mm -hmm. I, my team looked at four mm -hmm. yesterday Three of them we denied. Mm -hmm. Those three were non-students. The one that we accepted was a student. I mean, and this is not like a sales pitch to say, hey, give me money or give Nathan money. It's just, it's, hey, you need to be educated. And there's a reason why those deals are pushed forward. And it was funny because I didn't review the deals. My team reviewed the deals. Mm -hmm. My dispo guys are the ones that reviewed the deals. And it, the one that we accepted, it's like my, my dispo guy came in after five minutes and he said, it's a no brainer. I'm sending out the JV agreement. The other ones, they were like, I don't, I don't know what the, the guy's seeing. 
they took like 20, 30 minutes reviewing the deal because they're like, I'm trying to make sense of this. Yeah. Like, they don't want to just deny it because like one was in Seattle. Yeah. You know, it's like this could be a home run deal just because it's in Seattle. Right. So there's something to be said there about being educated on what to do. I want to ask you, you know, sure. we talked about you just had your first baby. Congratulations, by the Thank way. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a big milestone in anybody's life, but especially as a dad. So moving forward, man, what it, what does this look like for you? I, I've asked this question for, for six years now. I'm getting back around to asking it more because just celebrated my six-year anniversary of the podcast, and I got to go back and listen Congrats. to Max Maxwell and Cody Sanchez and, and the Tim Brotts talk about where they wanted to be in five years, five years ago. So it's really cool to see like, yeah, that is cool. Out, dude. So where do you want to be five years from now, now that you're a new dad and everything uh, that you got going on? Dude, I actually, yeah. So like I plan out my, I have a life plan that I reverse engineer to like yearly goals. So I know exactly where I want to go and it's nothing it, to people on here. They might be like, that ain't flashy, bro. That ain't cool, but it's cool to me. So my wife is from Canada and uh, like, we love going to, visit our family in Canada because they live in cottage country. So they're like up north of Toronto where it's just like cabins and nice lakes. And for me, bro, I love it when I go out there. I know Canada's a little weird on the politics, right? But right. It, it's just a different pace like it, of life. Like here in the city of Salt Lake, you know, in Dallas, it's it's fast and yep. fast paced. And for me, I'm like, I don't, I don't like the keeping up with the Joneses style. Like, oh, I feel like I got to drive this. I feel like I got to wear this. Like that's not my style. Uh, never has been. So my goal, bro, is to move to Canada, live in like a middle of a field with tons of acres on a farm, have my baby girl like picking apples and fruits. And we got goats and all that stuff and just, you know, wholesale virtually, invest virtually. And money is not uh, whether I have mil like millions and millions or not, like that lifestyle is not very expensive. And it's I want a chill lifestyle. So if I can do that and, and I will do that. Right. Um that's good for me. So five years down the road, you'll be chill. I'll be, you'll be talking. Nate, where you at? I'm on my camp, my farm, bro. I'm, I'm picking some apples with my, my baby. Hey, so listen, I, I think that's a really cool answer uh, because I think it's a real answer. And I think that's what I like, Everything that I take away from your interview today is how open and honest you are about what you want to be and who you are. Thank you. Uh, cause in 2023, it's so easy to lie about that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of honor and respectability to sit there and say, man, I just want to be able to enjoy my time up in Canada and have a farm. Like that's really cool because it's so easy to be like, I want to be doing $10 million a year. It's like, well, why yeah, bro? maybe yeah. but you might die when you're 50 because you're so stressed out. Yeah, yeah, and I, and the reason why I feel like this too is I know a lot of people that die and leave a lot of money behind to their kids, and their kids don't appreciate it. Like it's almost like if that's what you worked for and you didn't even enjoy it, like you didn't even get to use that money, and you leave it to people who just blow it, like on cars, houses, and they they didn't appreciate it. It's like, man, you got to enjoy what's truly important in life. And for me, it's God, family, friends, you know, relationships. So that that's all that matters. I love it, man. Well, Nathan. Uh... I, I really appreciate you coming on here today, sharing your story. Uh, looking forward to hanging out with you. Yeah. A couple of weeks, family mastermind. Uh, see you there, people brother. People that 
are not currently following you? Where's the best place where they can consume some more of your content? Yeah, so three places are, are pretty good. Investorthrive.com is you know where you can find out like all a lot of my resources. I have a YouTube channel. It's just Nathan Payne. Um, you can find me there. And then I have a free Facebook group that has a ton of my stuff. It's painless flipping, uh, like spelled my last name, P-A-Y-N-E, painless flipping. So you go to any of those three places, you're going to be able to find me and, and what I do. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. For those of you that are listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Remember, that's all we accept is five-star reviews. That's it. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like the video and hit the subscribe button. Nathan, appreciate you, man. Later. Later.